I definitely thought before I went overseas for a couple years that I would just need to do a little bit of language study and I would be good to go. It was a bit frustrating to find out that I was required to do a whole year of language learning before I could do any ministry. I thought that was way too much, but once I got into it, I realized there was no way I could function without doing all the language study. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. Today's guest just returned from two years in Egypt, and I definitely want to know more about her taking half of that time to just study Arabic. Juliana, welcome back from Cairo and welcome to the show. Thank you. Juliana, you're a nurse, so what role did you anticipate having in Egypt? It was a little bit undefined before I got there since there weren't any health professionals on my team, but I ended up working at two hospitals. In one of them, I worked as a nurse alongside other Egyptian nurses, and in the other, I did some continuing education and workshops, helping them develop some policies and organizational stuff alongside their nurse manager. That sounds like it would require a pretty high level of Arabic, but couldn't you just have used an interpreter? I mean, learning Arabic, as you know, isn't exactly a walk in the park. Well, I think that could have worked in some different contexts, but working in the hospitals that I was in, it was really, I would say, pretty fast-paced. And I think that bringing an interpreter in would have really limited what I could do. And I think that there wouldn't have been a whole lot of room for me. And I don't think I would have been able to communicate as much as I wanted to or make that big of an impact or difference in what they already had going on. I know your company required it, but deep down, did you think, oh, why bother with investing a whole year in language learning since you were only going for two years? Originally going into it, it might have felt that way, but once I was there, I didn't need motivation from them. I think I just wanted to communicate well with the people there, regardless if I was there long-term or not. I was living there and I wanted to talk to people, so I basically had to learn. If I needed anything, I had to communicate, and it was frustrating when I didn't speak correctly, so that was motivation for me to put that much time and work into it as I did. And I think it's important to connect with people in their first language. Talk to me about that connection. Were you tempted to just build relationships in English? There were a lot of people, especially in the hospital, who spoke some English. But it was a bit of work for them because it wasn't their first language. So it wasn't the same as speaking together in their language. So I was really glad to be able to sit and really talk to people in Arabic I think my relationships would have looked a lot different if I hadn't learned the Arabic that I did. And I know it's kind of a cliche to say that it's all about the relationships, but in reality, it really is. You kind of think you can go in and just wing it and you'll make all these great relationships and people will just love you and it will be amazing. And it just kind of happens that way, but it doesn't just happen Um, You really have to put the hard work into it, into the language learning. You know, I hear a lot that the language is really not that important, that you just have to, quote, show love. But wouldn't you agree that the best way to show love is actually by learning the language? That's actually a really good question. 
I think that learning the language really speaks volumes to the people that you're connecting with. I could definitely tell how much people appreciated it when you could really hold a conversation with them. I would say I know some people who really focused on language and were very good in language in Arabic. And some of their relationships struggled because they were focused so much on the language part of it. And they didn't always know how to show love in their relationships. It was all about the language. But I knew other people who maybe language learning didn't really come as easily to them. And so their Arabic struggled a little bit, but they just had a way with people personality-wise and they just really focused on that showing love side of things. And so they really connected. It's not always cut and dry, but I think they go hand in hand. The showing love aspect of things is very important, but the language aspect of it is very important to actually go deep. Well, before asking the specifics of Juliana's language study, let's hear about her living situation. We'll be right back. So I stayed in a really small apartment for the first maybe three months, and I overlapped with another expat for the first two weeks, which was really helpful. She was able to show me around since I went in with absolutely no Arabic. But after a little bit, that apartment wasn't the best for me. It was very small, and I was by myself in a brand new country. So after about three months, I decided to move in with another expat friend into a slightly larger apartment. And she was also studying Arabic and she was very motivated. So it was helpful. Did that move affect your language learning? Yeah, I found that the new apartment and also living with a friend just gave me a bit more brain space for my studies. I felt much more encouraged by living there. And because it was a little bit bigger, I was able to have some of my Egyptian friends over I could actually have them in my home and sit and talk and kind of live regular life with them in my home. You stayed with her about a year. And then what happened? At that point, did you think about moving in with a host family? So originally, I had not planned to stay with a host family because I had heard from other people that that doesn't always work out quite as smoothly in the Egyptian culture. Egyptians are very welcoming people, but I think that the idea of a host family is just a little bit more common in some countries more than others. So I wasn't planning on that, but then I had an Egyptian friend invite me to stay with her the whole second year of my time there. So I moved in with her. She lived in an apartment by herself, but it was in a family building. So I lived with her and got to be part of her her extended family. And I really felt by the end of it that I was an actual part of their family. So that was a very unexpected blessing. You mentioned something about you got to go to a funeral and learn some cultural things, especially. Well, right when I moved in, I was already pretty close with her. But right when I moved in, her aunt was not doing very well. Her aunt lived in her building with her. So I was able to kind of be part of I would say a very intimate family experience, no matter what culture you're in, but especially in Egyptian culture, being part of that 
last month or so of her life and then the whole funeral process and having all of the family there with us. And they brought me in just as one of them. So it was a very special time of being part of their family for that. We'll be right back with the nitty gritty of Juliana's language study. So what did your language study actually look like? So I spent the first year in an actual language school, and then I continued working with a tutor the second year while I was working in the hospital. Tell me about that first language school. Did your company choose it for you? Yeah, it was a school that they knew of and had used before. So I was there for about nine months, and it was a very small language learning center, uh, but it worked well for me, and it worked for my language learning style, so it was great. So what do you mean that it worked for your learning style? They had a very specific curriculum, and I would say the lessons were fairly structured, but each teacher kind of fit their teaching style, and I'm pretty flexible, so it worked fine for me. I really like the grammatical structure of Arabic, and their curriculum was very heavy on the grammar. Are you the kind that eats up all those verb conjugation charts? I did like the charts because Arabic is so structured, and it has such a complex system. But once you know the system, you can fit anything into it, and you understand why a word is the way it is. I like knowing why. That's just me personally. What kinds of things did you do to build relationships? What did you do outside of class? I'm definitely relational. Even though I need to understand the system, I have to be actually talking with people. So I met a lot of people at church. And also every week I was going to a meeting of nursing students that was all in Arabic. They did music and a devotional every week. And then we would sit and talk afterwards. And then obviously every time I was out shopping or doing errands, I'd meet with people and talk with them. I also had a really good Egyptian friend. It was kind of interesting. We started out with a goal of sharing language, doing 50-50 English and Arabic. And then in the end, we just ended up speaking Arabic all the time. She ended up being my best friend while I was there. And we would spend the whole day together And even at the beginning, when my Arabic was really limited, we would get together and talk for sometimes six hours at a time. You can always figure out what to say, even when your vocabulary is pretty limited. So there's two sides to relationships, for sure. There is a lot of hard work to learn the language, but then I think um, also just gifts from the father. So with language school time and out and about talking time, What amount of hours would you say that you spent in language learning every day or every week? I went in thinking that I would spend hours in class every day and then hours of studying. At the end of the week, it would add up to be like a full-time or a part-time job. I found out once I got there that there was no way that I could personally do that. So anything over three hours of class time every single day was too much for me. It was too much information going into my brain. And then I would just kind of stop learning when my brain was that full. So I found out that you could put in a lot of hours and impress yourself and impress everyone else and not actually learn that much. Or 
I could put in a smaller amount of really good quality hours and I was learning a lot more. So back to language school, if this school was working well for you, why did you change to a second language school? How was that second school different? Well, I completed the program at the first school and then I tried a few classes at another school that was kind of a a hybrid GPA, like a blend, a little bit of GPA and a little bit of grammar. When you started at the hospital that second year, you had a tutor, right? How much did you meet with her? We would spend about two hours a day on the weekends. And I continued that up until the month before I left. I kept thinking, I wasn't sure why I was still taking classes right about when I was about to leave. I think for one, my teacher really wanted to continue. And then I realized that even in those last few months before leaving, I was learning so much. There was a lot that I was still missing, so I didn't mind putting the time into that. Before we go on to more about that year at the hospital, let me back up and ask Juliana about her pre-field training in language learning. I did the course called EQUIP at the Center for Intercultural Training, and then a second language acquisition course called Just in Time that's offered through the Institute for Cross-Cultural Training at Wheaton College. What parts of that training were particularly helpful to you? What were you glad you knew before heading out? I would definitely encourage people to take a second language acquisition course. The best thing I learned from the just-in-time course was that no learning system is perfect and no school is perfect. So if you're lacking in something, you've got to figure out how to fill in those gaps, how to compensate what you need to do different. There were so many language learning schools the course gave me. And it also had a phonetics portion to help me with the sounds in Arabic. Yeah, all those lovely post velars and pharyngeals, right? Yeah, exactly. The other thing I really appreciated was the follow-up. So for the whole year afterwards, you got to meet with your language learning coach via Zoom in your country that you were in. I would talk to her and I would say, this is where I'm at. This is what I've been doing, the way I'm learning language and how far I've gotten in Arabic. And she could give me ideas and brainstorm with me and kind of assess how far I'd come for the time that I had been there and track with me. So it was good to have someone to talk to who knows language learning and who could be objective about it. And she helped me keep progressing instead of just stagnating. So now you spent a year in language learning and had a decent amount of Arabic under your belt. What was it like when you actually started working in the hospital? Well, I thought I was doing well in Arabic until I started working. And then all of a sudden I thought, wait, I'm not sure I'm speaking the same language here. I didn't understand as much as I expected to. For example, I remember one of the nurses who was giving me a tour of the hospital and she was talking and talking and talking. And I thought to myself, I have literally no idea what you're saying right now. Obviously, it was a combination of things. Some nurses were from a different area and spoke different dialects, even of Egyptian Arabic. They spoke very fast. My friends were usually pretty good at slowing down a bit for me. So I had to catch up with uh, my coworkers. 
And then of course I wasn't familiar with the hospital and medical vocabulary, even though I'd studied it a little bit, but I definitely caught up and did a lot better than that. Did you ever just flat out lose motivation to keep learning? Did you ever get to the point of feeling that, wow, all this language study was just too much time, just a waste of effort? I found that at the beginning that about every six weeks or a couple months, I would go through a little bit of a slump. So I would work, work, work and be super motivated. And then I would just get discouraged and lose some motivation. So I just found that language learning wasn't as linear as you expect. And it had a lot of ups and downs. So what did you do when you started feeling that way? Well, especially at the beginning, I found that it was really good for me to take little breaks. Your brain is so full of Arabic right at the beginning, and it's all so new that taking little breaks really helped me to keep going. Sometimes it was just a weekend at the beach or something like that. It seems like a luxury that you haven't really earned your break, but when I would come back, even if it was just a couple days away or time off from my full-time classes, I felt a lot more motivated and refreshed. And of course, later on, it kind of evened out and I didn't need that. But at the beginning, I had to remind myself If I was discouraged or couldn't figure out how to keep going or wasn't progressing, I would take a reset and take a couple days off. Next, I want to ask Juliana if she has a it's worth it all kind of story, a time when she felt like it was truly worth all that time and effort in language study. There's so many I could talk about because I had some really rich relationships, but one that really stood out to me because it was right before I left, there was just a really difficult situation that happened at one of the hospitals really a couple weeks before I left. And it was particularly hard for the nurse manager. And I had been working really closely with her that whole time. Obviously, I wasn't expecting it. She wasn't expecting it. And I was able to walk her through that. It wasn't something she could talk to other people about, but I had been working with her and knew what had happened. And so we were able to talk in person and on the phone. And it was really deep and it got kind of intense. And I was able to do all of that in Arabic. And we would switch into English sometimes here and there, but I was so glad I could be there for her and that I had put the time into the relationship over the previous months. And I know that if I hadn't been able to do that in Arabic, I wouldn't have been able to go so deep and really connect on that same level with her during that time. As we close here, if you had a last piece of advice for people going for a two-year program, what would you say? I wish so much that I had done a vision trip before I went. So obviously a vision trip doesn't tell you everything, but it's something. So that's one of the biggest things I tell people who are going short term. And then again, I would say taking the language learning course was really helpful beforehand. At last, we're ready to hear your super duper language blooper. Go ahead. Well, I'm sure I could tell you lots of them, but one of the ones that kind of always stands out to me because it was just one of those everyday mistakes that you make. Um, I was talking to my language teacher. This is probably in the first year of being there. And she was asking about my family. And I was telling her about my vinegar, who was my mom's brother. And she was very confused. Um, But that's because the word for 
uncle and the word for vinegar are very similar. It's the difference between chel and chal. We had a good laugh about that. Could you say those two again for me? Yes. It's chel and chal. It's your mother's brother and it's vinegar. Juliana, this has been absolutely great. I so appreciate you being on the show, especially after pulling two 12-hour shifts at your new nursing job. Thanks so much. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Check out the training Juliana mentioned by Googling the Center for Intercultural Training, plus all the great SLA courses at the Institute for Cross-Cultural Training at Wheaton College. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher, and always, of course, at languageonpurpose.org. Subscribe, and you won't miss an episode. Keep at it, guys. Until next time.